Today, we're going to talk about being abandoned. Have any of you ever felt like you were completely abandoned by somebody? A few of you, you don't want to admit it. But maybe it was a parent, or maybe it was a spouse who left, and left you feeling with this massive hole inside of you, a big impact in your life. Maybe it was something smaller, maybe it was a friend who cut you off, or a coworker who unexpectedly quit and left the team that was a big part of your life. At some point in life, I think all of us have had somebody just kind of quit on us, give up and leave that relationship. It's common, and it hurts quite a bit. I was hoping to find a story of people quitting on others to share in this introduction, but when I Googled it, everything that I came up kept saying, don't quit, don't give up, keep going. Like, and I recognize in our American culture, we value so much never, ever giving up. Like that is so ingrained in us that I had a hard time finding a story of quitting. And then one came to me. I remembered just a year and a half ago in the NFL because it was so absurd. It stood out in my mind. A guy literally quit his team in the middle of the game. While his quarterback was under center, he was jogging across the middle of the field. He'd taken his jersey off, shoulder pads, and all of that. Antonio Brown, he'd had some issues in the NFL, amazing wide receiver, but he'd bounced from like five different teams, and Tom Brady said, okay, I've played with him, he's a great guy, he vouched for him, said, let him come and play with us, and they had a little bit of success for part of that year, and then something happened, and he got mad, and in the most public way, he just took his shoulder pads and jersey off, and a shirtless Antonio Brown trotted out of the stadium in the middle of the third quarter. And you can imagine, when it's so blatant, somebody giving up on their team, when that occurs in such a prime thing as the NFL on public national television, you know what the team was thinking, the upper brass, they sent him packing later that day. They said, he's off the team, and they kicked him off. All the talking heads, of which there are many now, they love to talk about how terrible this guy is, how awful what he did was. How could anybody ever quit in the middle of the game, much less, on their team? And so he was just completely vilified. And yet, while... All of us have been abandoned. We've had people give up on us. We likely have all at some point been on the other side of that equation as well. At some point, all of us have left and left somebody else feeling abandoned. Maybe you just quit a job that you had friends that you liked working for. And and they know you were going someplace better or you were moving, but it didn't still leave them feeling like, oh, That kind of stinks. You left. Maybe you moved, left your friends and your neighbors that you'd built relationship with. Maybe you changed churches, leaving behind years of connection with a church family. No, I'm not saying you're all awful people for leaving. Like, change happens. And sometimes when we leave, something comes to play. There's a situation, and it's just time for us to move on. But that doesn't change the fact that the people who are still there feel like you've left. Things have changed, and it hurts. Perhaps you did quit on somebody because you found the situation too challenging, too exhausting, and too overwhelming. That's what Antonio Brown did in the middle of the football game. 
And the unfortunate aspect of making these decisions is that oftentimes it leaves the other person, whether we have good reason or not, it leaves them feeling deserted. And there's a bit of complexity, though, in these situations because when you think about the times that you've had to move on, you're like, well, I'm not necessarily the bad guy. You can't vilify me because situation changed and I needed to move. So these situations aren't always black and white. It's not easy to say, well, the person who left must be the enemy because they left the team or the group or the church or the family. Yet we also have to recognize that quitting in the middle of a struggle is not a virtue that we hold high in our culture. And so it's into this gray area that we're going to delve today as we look at the life of John Mark. So today is our last message in this series, Flawed Heroes of the Bible. And we're going to be looking at this little-known character of John Mark. He's not necessarily a leading man in the Bible, but even from the little that we see of him throughout the New Testament, we learn a lot about deserting others, reconciliation, and perseverance. So John Mark first appears in our Bible in the book of Acts. After Jesus has died, and he's resurrected and come to new life, and he's ascended to heaven, and he told the disciples, hey, you guys are going to kick off the church, and you need to go into Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. And so the first appearance, though, we have of John Mark is actually not even really his story. It's a story about Peter being arrested and put in jail. And in the middle of the night, God busts Peter out of jail, and he can't even believe it. And he just walks out of the jail with the doors wide open, and he goes to the house where he knows that all the Christians are gathering. And in Acts 12.12, this is our first reading about John Mark. He, Peter, went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. So he's only identified by who his mom is. That's it. He's... She's the owner of the house where the Christians were meeting. And then in Colossians 4.10, we learn that John Mark is Barnabas' cousin. Again, it's only a family tie, and it's just a name. John Mark, Barnabas' cousin. That's all it says at the end of Colossians. In the first Peter, the first letter that Peter wrote that's in our Bible, Peter refers to John Mark as his son, So obviously, John Mark is a disciple of Peter and in close relationship with him. And the only other thing we have is the gospel of Mark. But even that, he doesn't say, I, Mark, wrote this book. We only attribute it to John Mark because of circumstantial evidence that is described in that gospel that would have been information that Mark would have known. And But it's because he wrote, we strongly believe he wrote the book of Mark, that we say, yeah, he's a hero of the Bible. The Gospel of Mark is the first of the Gospels ever written down. Matthew and Luke steal heavily from Mark's Gospel. And so he does this great service to all of us today in recording all that he learned from Peter and from Paul about the work and the ministry of Jesus Christ. So with that as part of Mark's backstory, today we need to dive into the story that we're going to learn from today, the part that he plays in Paul's first missionary journey. So the short story here goes, 
Paul was a guy, first name Saul, who hated the Christians. He was a devout Jew, and he thought that what the Christians were doing was terrible. So he went around trying to arrest Christians. Jesus meets him in a bright light on the road to Damascus. Says, Saul, stop doing what you're doing. Join my team. Changes his name from Saul to Paul. And so Paul decides, yeah, I'm going to stop persecuting Christians, and instead I'm going to start spreading the gospel of Christianity. But some stuff happens. He decides to head up to Tarsus, where he's from, get out of the limelight, and just grow in his relationship with Jesus. In the meanwhile, the church in Antioch is growing really fast. And so the leaders in Jerusalem say, hey, we need a leader to help disciple this church, and they send Barnabas. So Barnabas goes to Antioch, and he realizes very quickly it's more than he can handle. And so he heads up to Tarsus and says, Paul, you got to get in the game. I need you here. Come on down to Antioch with me, and let's train up this church together. And for a year, they spend ministering at the church in Antioch and building this church and building these disciples. And then one day in a prayer meeting, the Holy Spirit speaks to the church and says, hey, you guys need to set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work that I am calling them to. And he sends them out on this first missionary journey. It's the first time, really, that the gospel of Jesus gets intentionally spread out into all the region of the Gentiles. And that's where we are going to pick up this story right now. In Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 4 and 5, it says, So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogue and preached the word of God. You guys are wondering, how is the sermon on John Mark at this point? I haven't talked about him at all. Here's where he shows up. John Mark went with them as their assistant. That's all we get. Again, John Mark is almost just a footnote to this story that's going on. Paul and Barnabas, they are the main missionaries. But Mark experiences all the challenges and the victories that Paul does. And so then after these verses, we read about a showdown that Paul has with a sorcerer and who is the sidekick to the governor and ultimately, Paul makes the sorcerer go blind. The governor puts his trust in Jesus, and they decide to move on to the next port. So then we pick up the story in verse 13 of chapter 13. It says, Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. There, John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. Now, we have no idea why, Paul, why Mark left. Maybe he missed his mom. Maybe he was seasick. Maybe he felt like his presence was of no assistance. And Paul and Barnabas, they had this all on their own. He was unnecessary. Maybe he felt like a third wheel. It's possible he felt like he was in over his head. It really could be any number of reasons. But those reasons must not matter. Because Luke, who wrote this book of Acts, doesn't include it. To Luke, who wrote this book, it was recorded almost seemingly as just this small detail with limited to no importance. But when we jump ahead in the story, we see this moment was actually pretty significant to Paul. 
You see, after completing their first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas head back to Antioch to report on what they did. And then after telling everybody what went on and teaching for a little bit, they decide, let's head out again and go back to those churches that we planted and continue to support and train them up in the ways of God. Acts 15, we jump to this story now, verses 36 through 40. It says, after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back. And visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. So based on the short notes that were included in chapter 13, it didn't seem like Mark heading home was really that big of a deal. But clearly, right here in verse 15, or chapter 15, we're finding out to Paul, it was. Paul felt abandoned. He felt deserted. In the middle of the game, it felt like John Mark was trotting off the field and just heading into the locker room. And so as a result, he didn't want to take the field with this guy again. He'd lost all trust for him. Perhaps it's because Paul realized the huge contrast between what he did on this journey and what John Mark did. John Mark had this little bit of conflict with a sorcerer that ultimately they were in no harm. And he's like, that's it, I'm done, I'm taking off. Paul, meanwhile, continued from city to city. Ultimately, in one city, he was stoned. They thought he was dead. They grabbed him by the collar. They dragged him out of the city and left him for dead. You know what Paul did? He came back to, woke up, got, off, got onto his feet, and headed back into the city to keep preaching the message of Jesus. And so maybe he's like, I'm being stoned to death and keep at it. John, Mark, you face a little bit of persecution and you run home to mommy. I don't want you on my team. Barnabas, on the other hand, whose name means son of encouragement. Remember, Barnabas is the one who when Paul had run up to Tarsus and wasn't really doing ministry, he was kind of staying to himself. Barnabas is the one who said, I need help. I'm going to go get Paul. I know he can be useful to this church and in this ministry with me. And so he knows, yeah, John Mark left us, but I want to bring him along. I want to give this guy a second chance. Paul, not so gracious. (laughs) And so these two have such a deep disagreement that ultimately they part ways. They say, we can't do this trip together. And what I find interesting, and this is just a side note to this message, is nowhere in the Bible does it tell us that either one of these guys is wrong. Sometimes in the middle of conflict, nobody is actually wrong. That's what we have to learn from this. We feel so often when we have conflict, one of us has to be in the wrong. But in this situation, nobody is in the wrong. God is actually using this to spread the gospel in two different directions. And that, yeah, they see things differently, but it's not sin for either party. And that's okay that they separate. Back to the story at hand, we don't hear of John Mark again anywhere in the book of Acts. It's as though he began in ministry with Paul, flamed out, and then we never hear from him again. But clearly that wasn't the end 
of Mark's ministry because he is mentioned three times at the end of Paul's letters to various churches in the Bible. Like in Paul's letter to Philemon in verses 23 and 24. It says, Epiphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. So he's just kind of listed as one of Paul's fellow workers. And then in the last letter Paul ever wrote, when he was facing the very end of his life and he knew that, he writes this letter to Timothy. It's called 2 Timothy. And in verse, chapter 4, verse 11, he writes this. He says, only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. Obviously something changed right? In Acts, we see Paul unwilling to have any travel with Mark. He feels completely deserted by the guy. But then at the end of his life, he's like, hey, you know the one person I want you to send to me? Send me Mark. He's going to be really helpful to me. So clearly, they reconciled. They made amends somewhere, but we never see that anywhere in Scripture. We see that Paul no longer held the grudge, and that Mark ultimately quitting on Paul was forgiven, and the two of them were able to move on. And so the first lesson that we need to live for, learn from this story is if somebody quits on you in life, don't hold that against them forever. That's a big thing. If somebody quits on you, and people are going to quit on you, don't hold that against them forever. Yes, it hurts when somebody gives up on you. Like Paul, you might feel deserted, and it might have caused you a ton of pain. But as followers of Jesus, we are called to forgive. And we have to remember, there have been times where we have quit on others, where we felt overwhelmed and like we had to remove ourselves from that situation. And in those moments, how did we want to be treated? With a bit of grace and a bit of forgiveness and maybe parting ways, saying, you know what, neither of us is in the wrong, but maybe we just need to separate. So don't write that person off forever. Don't hold that grudge indefinitely. Secondly, if you have been the person who quit, who gave up, know this. Quitting doesn't have to be forever. You can re-engage. So often, after giving up on something or somebody, on a team maybe, or on a church ministry that you just got exhausted with, you end up feeling this sense of shame. And you feel like, well, I can never go back to that because I already stepped out of it. You don't want to show your face again for fear of what people are going to think. But God is a God who gives second chances. And so if you quit on God for a while, maybe because you experienced just so much hurt and you were just mad at Him, I encourage you, try to re-engage. Give God a second chance. Maybe you quit on church during the pandemic. Maybe right now you're watching this on video and you haven't gone back into a church. I encourage you, re-engage, understand you weren't called to do this Christian life completely isolated. We were called to do this as the family of God together. Get back plugged into a church. Maybe you were worn out from a ministry that you helped with. Don't feel guilty about that. Instead, find some refreshing and then find a way to get back into ministry. Maybe it's not the same place that you were serving. Maybe that was a bad fit. But find a place to serve. We are the body of Christ. And Jesus, the head, needs all the parts to be working 
for the church to be effectively ministering in our communities. Maybe at some point you quit on your family. Perhaps you disengaged from your parents, or maybe your marriage ended and you're thinking, Ryan, I definitely cannot re-engage with that person. That ship has sailed, and I do understand that. There are those moments where, yes, a full reconciling and coming together isn't going to happen. Sometimes what is done is done. But that doesn't mean you can't try to make amends and try to bring peace to the situation wherever it's possible. And all of this points to the final lesson that we learned from this story, and that is this. Our Christian journey is all about perseverance to the end. We've all fallen down, we've all given up, we've all quit on people, jobs, churches, and ministries. But we aren't to be defined as people who quit and who give up. Instead, we must see our quitting or giving up on something only as a moment. A moment before we pick ourselves up, redirect our efforts, find a new way to re-engage a new ministry, a new church that builds us up, but we don't just step out and stay out. Yeah, John Mark quit that first missionary journey, but he willingly got back on a ship with Barnabas and went on a second trip. He picked himself back up. He persevered. He wasn't defined as John Mark, the guy who quit. He's John Mark, the guy that Paul says, send him to me at the end of my life because he's going to be so helpful to me in ministry. Praise God, Barnabas gave John Mark that second chance. And Mark sees the opportunity. It's great for Paul, and it's ultimately great for us because now we have the book of Mark in our Bibles. And so in the same way, we can't give up on those who have given up on us in one way or another. Maybe due to the situation, we'll never be in close relationship with that person again, but we can't hold the grudge or the unforgiveness in our hearts. We have to forgive. And if the person who abandoned you is a Christian, it's especially important to seek reconciliation and try to support that person in re-engaging with God and a church family. Even if they can't be at the church that you were at with them together, the best thing is for everybody to find a church family and find a place to serve. That's what we're all called to, to minister. We saw it in John Mark's life, and I want it for every person here, to find your place to minister. Maybe you haven't served in ministry in years But you know what? We're called to persevere. We're called to serve Jesus with every breath we have. As long as you are breathing, God has a purpose for you today. Life is long, and there's lots of times when people are going to come to their end of their rope and give up. Sometimes other people are going to do it to you, and sometimes you're going to do it to other people. That's just part of life. But by God's grace in these situations, we strive to help others find their footing again. And if we're the ones who lost it, we look for a hand to help us get back up. We aren't called to be perfect, but we are called to persevere. And that's a lesson that John Mark, in his imperfectness, shows us through his life. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray?